From Gimlet Media, this is Startup. I'm Amy Standen. In this series, we've been following Arlen Hamilton, a venture capitalist unique in Silicon Valley. This is part three. One thing I realized pretty quickly is that reporting on Arlen would mean spending so many hours in a place I had never given much thought to, hotel lobbies. Ninia's going to be here at one? Yes. Okay. Arlen spent a ton of time in hotel lobbies. She treated them like an office. Back when she was living at the airport, she would arrange meetings at hotels in Mountain View or San Francisco, which, if it gave the impression she was staying there, would not be the worst thing in the world. Now she had a room at the St. Regis in San Francisco. This was October, soon after I started reporting on Arlen. And she and Christy Pitts, her investment partner, were in the lobby, trying to decide where they should set up camp for a day of meetings. Where do you want to switch? I know this is reserved. They settled on a pair of blue velvet armchairs near the window. Arlen and Christy were here to do something that you don't often hear venture capitalists do. Pitch. VCs hear a lot of pitches from startup founders asking for money, but VCs also pitch. Arlen pitched constantly, asking other investors to put money into backstage capital. Her pitch was that she could take their money and invest it in great companies. Then everybody would do well. And this was particularly important now because backstage capital was out of money. So she'd set up a meeting with a woman named Ninian Wang. Oh, you're fine. Hi, Arlen. Nice to see you. Ninian is a CEO and startup founder, a former Google engineer. Her resume notes that she graduated from college at 18. She'd been reading up on Backstage. Okay, I'm excited to learn yeah. more. So I have some questions, but I don't yeah. know if you have a typical spiel that you give. Pretty quickly, Ninian gets to the point with the question any potential investor would ask. How is your fund going to make me money? I went through every single company on your uh, list, and I've gone to your event and met some of them. So... Is your goal to focus on the founder? Let's say someone's a black woman and then they start a product that's not for black women. Is that your focus? Or are you focusing on product markets? Okay. Focus on the founder. Sometimes the founder is working on um, the market that represents them. Sometimes they're not. Focusing on the founder is pretty typical when you're investing in really early stage companies like Arlen is. But Nini Ann doesn't seem to think that that's enough of an edge. She's most interested in founders who are focused on selling to their own markets. In other words, people like themselves. For example, I thought the Hot um, Hijab, hijab yeah, mm-hmm. was amazing. Hot Hijab is one of Arlen's portfolio companies, founded by a Muslim woman. They make high-fashion hijabs. It made total sense. It seems like a huge market. Uh, it makes sense that someone who is used to that market would be able to serve it well, whereas I would be making lots of mistakes. I guess if it's a person who's underestimated going after a market that is being chased by lots of other people, I don't see as much where the advantage is. In other words, what's their edge? Just because a founder is black or female or Latinx, to Ninian, that is not an edge. But to Arlen, it is. Because, as we heard in the last episode, she believes that women and minority founders have had to do more with fewer resources. So if you give them the resources, they will give you a bigger return on investment. Their background and their profile is, it makes them, in most cases, shoot for the moon and attack it and do it at a discount and, you know, do it resourcefully. The bigger picture for me is in the fact that we haven't been given that chance. I want to give women of color a chance to fail. It's like every white man has had. But that's more like a charity then. Then it won't be. It's it's it's, it's changing. Well, let me tell you the thing. It didn't look like Arlen's idea won Ninian over. 
To her, Backstage Capital looked like a charity, not a way to make money. Eventually, Ninian asked to have her salad boxed up and left. Okay. All right, thank you for your time. I'm going to go look for my two Ultimately, Ninian didn't invest. Arlen's idea here, that certain kinds of founders are more likely to succeed, is well-established in Silicon Valley. There's even a term for it, pattern matching. Only, usually pattern matching looks pretty different. It's VCs investing in guys who look like Mark Zuckerberg, because, hey, that turned out pretty well. Exhibit A for traditional pattern matching, this piece of tape from the famous VC John Doerr talking about the pattern he tries to match when picking founders. They all seem to be white male nerds who've dropped out of Harvard or Stanford, and they have absolutely no social life. So when I see that pattern coming in, which was true of Google, it was very easy to decide we Uh ought to invest. (laughs) When you ask people why Silicon Valley is so white and so male, that's the answer you usually get, pattern matching. And yet Arlen was all for it. I pattern match just like everyone else pattern matches, but I pattern match for me, which is the point. So when I look at people, I don't necessarily pattern match for a black woman, but I pattern match for grit. And grit, Arlen believed, was something you're especially likely to find in people of color or women, because often they had worked harder to get to the same place. This is the formula that led Arlen to a company called Capway and its CEO, Sheena Allen. So I pattern matched the hell out of Sheena Allen. Sheena Allen comes from just a few miles from where I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. She's younger than I am, but she reminded me a lot of myself. I grew up in Terry, Mississippi, small town right outside of Jackson, Mississippi, which is the capital. We don't have any stoplights. We only have stop signs. Capway is what's known as a fintech company, as in financial tech. Right now, it's mainly an educational platform to get people comfortable with things like savings and credit. But eventually, the plan is to expand it, to offer basic banking services to users who don't have much financial literacy. Sheena's background has everything to do with why she started this company and who it's for, because she knows these customers. My dad actually did not believe in credit cards. My dad was that guy who said, if you cannot buy it, meaning with cash or with your debit card, So if you could not afford it, then don't get it. Where Sheena comes from, it's routine to rely on check cashing or payday loan places, either because you don't trust banks or you don't have enough for a minimum deposit, or maybe there's no branch nearby. And this is more common than you might think. Close to 20% of Americans are considered underbanked, which is finance speak, for relying on alternative lending outfits, not just check cashing, but pawnbrokers and loan sharks. These are Sheena's potential customers. And if you're thinking, like I'll admit I was, oh, but they're poor. Why would a startup think they could make money here? Well, I have another number for you, $200 billion. Financially underserved Americans spend almost $200 billion a year on interest and fees from predatory lending outfits. In other words, Sheena's customers are already spending a ton of money on products that don't serve them very well, which in business is what you call a market. To study this market, Sheena's potential customers, all she has to do is take a drive through her home state. A few months ago, she took producer Bruce Wallace on a tour. So you tie a long place, and they're like back-to-back, so you check cashing, there's an approved cash. What is title loans? Title loans is actually crazy. So what you do at a title loan place is you literally take the title of your vehicle, you're going to take it inside of there, and 
They're going to give you what they feel is the value of your vehicle. And you get a loan. And if you do not pay that loan back within whatever time frame they gave you, they come pick up your car. So it's like a home equity line of credit except uh, well, the car. car. And it's a, more of a short, it's a shorter time period. Oh, right. You have to, so you have to pay it back pretty quickly. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty quick. It's not like a five years. Usually it's like three months sometimes. You know, it depends. So it's those people that we care about and we're trying to bring, I guess, shine light on. There are people who live in banking dollars. There are people who live paycheck to paycheck. There are people who do not even have a bank account. That is a to me. That's the biggest thing I want to show and prove with Capway. This should be a great time for Sheena to raise capital. Financial tech is really buzzy in Silicon Valley right now. Venture capitalists put more than seven and a half billion dollars into fintech companies last year, and Sheena's homing in on a part of the sector that isn't well served. But when Sheena flew out to Silicon Valley for the first time, investors were skeptical that Capway would find enough customers. Capway falls flat a lot of times. And I think the biggest reason is I'm, you, you go into these rooms and I'm speaking sometimes to white gentlemen who probably can actually say I am part of a gener- generational wealth. Or I live in my $2 million home in, you know, Beverly Hills or San Jose. And I've actually had to convince—this is a true story—I've actually had to convince um, an investor that there are people that do not have a bank account in America. <laughs> I think a lot of times they invest in things when it gets, like, artificial intelligence and virtual reality and augmented reality— and then I come in, I'm like, hey, I'm here to help people in rural Mississippi and the people in the south side of Chicago where no bank will go. And in their world, there's no way that people in America in 2017 are still having those problems. If investors didn't believe Capway had a market, Sheena would have to prove it to them. So she started going after customers. Sheena started with her alma mater, the University of Southern Mississippi. She pitched USM on the idea of offering Capway to all incoming freshmen. And they were into it. A USM administrator named Amy Miller told Sheena that financial problems are the number one reason that students drop out of school. Our students rely so heavily on need-based aid and then on loans as well that they need it and they lean on it, but they don't fully understand it. And so they just kind of guess at what to do. And it's, it leads to peril <laughs> because a lot of times what happens, they either run out of financial aid or they expend it um, on the wrong things. Then they can't pay their bills and they can't register for the next semester. Sheena convinced USM that Capway could help solve this problem by teaching students how to manage their money better. She sold the school on a two-year contract to automatically enroll every incoming freshman in Capway. This was going to give her 4,500 customers immediately and another 4,500 the following year. It was evidence that she could show those investors in Silicon Valley that Capway had a market. Sheena's current investors would want to know about this, too. So not long after her meeting at USM, Sheena and Arlen got on the phone for a check-in. Sheena! Hi! Hi, Sheena! (laughs) And Sheena gave Arlen the news. Things actually been going well. You know, we did the private um, beta with Southern Miss, mm-hmm. which is our very first official partner. Um, I got an email Friday where the, they love the beta and they have agreed to sign off for the next two years. That's great. So you have a, you have a way to continue to be plugged into the team anytime you need something. Yeah, I say Anastasia is really my, my LA plug. 
Arlen wanted to make sure that if Sheena needed help with the contract or anything else, she could call someone at Backstage. It's pretty common for venture capitalists to be helpful with this stuff. It's in their interest because VCs want the companies they've invested in to take off. But in a portfolio with dozens of companies, this kind of one-on-one coaching was a huge job. It left little time for pitching to potential investors like Ninian. So Arlen had hired a team of people to help her. After the break, we'll meet the most important member of that team, the woman Arlen referred to as her secret weapon. Welcome back to Startup. A couple years into running Backstage Capital, Arlen realized she needed help. The constant fundraising ate up much of her time. She needed someone to review the pitches that came in and help run the company. She needed an investment partner. Hello, hello. Yeah, that's working. Hello, hello. Introduce yourself. I'm Christy Pitts. I'm Arlen's partner at Backstage Capital. Arlen was the visionary, the one with the big profile. Christy was more behind the scenes, the one with the more formal business experience. And Arlen's thing about underestimated people, she once told me she thinks Christy fits that profile too. Christy is blonde and very bubbly. She wears sparkly sneakers. Silicon Valley is not the world she came from. I grew up in Gilroy. (laughs) Garlic capital of the world, shout out. (laughs) Gilroy is to Christy what Terry, Mississippi is to Sheena. Not just her hometown, but the site of her early education into what customers need and want. Christy had a job selling cell phones at a Verizon retail store. And because this was Gilroy, closing the deal on mobile phone contracts meant selling to lots of kinds of people. Christy thrived at Verizon. The company put her through college, promoted her up through the ranks in the marketing department. At Verizon, Christy said, everyone knew that the population in the U.S. was getting browner, and Verizon wanted to keep up. Literally, we're making signage in multiple languages. We were holding focus groups in multiple languages because we really wanted to make sure that our customer looked like what the country looked like. Verizon was not the only brand doing that, like Clorox and McDonald's and Walmart. Every major consumer brand has been addressing this business opportunity for over a decade. Eventually, the company promoted Christie to its ventures team, the division of Verizon that invests in startups. And suddenly, that diversity focus was gone. Venture capital struck Christie as a world of white guys making products for white guys, which from a purely business standpoint made no sense to her at all. Venture capitalists invest in companies that reach maturity seven to 10 years out. So if you're investing in a consumer company today that is going to be at maturity in 2028 or 2027, who's buying that product? If you really ask yourself that question, the answer is probably not a straight white guy. While old behemoths like Clorox and McDonald's were bending over backwards to serve diverse markets, venture capital treated diversity as a good deed for conferences and photo ops. Christy felt like she was the only person noticing this problem in venture capital. Was anyone else onto this? Then she found Arlen on Twitter. I just hearted, or at the time it was like stars, I just starred every tweet. (laughs) She would tweet a tweet and I'd be like, oh, that was so good, and I would would star it. Part of the reason why I was so impressed with Arlen was because she understood the business opportunity. Arlen noticed all the retweets. She and Christy started emailing. And then Arlen asked Christy if she could take on some work for the firm. For about a year, Christy worked part-time for Arlen, in addition to her Verizon job. Then, last August, Arlen asked Christy to join Backstage Capital full-time. This had been a risky move at the time, but as the months passed, the financial situation at Backstage Capital was getting dicier. And Christy's take on this was basically the same as when she started. 
at this point, my attitude is a little bit YOLO. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe like six months from now, I'll look back at this and be like, oh my gosh, what was my problem? What was I thinking? But like right now, I feel confident that we're going to be um, a stable organization for a long time. Christy and Arlen were convinced that Backstage would make it in the long run. But the truth is, by late fall, the company was in trouble. Arlen was running out of money in two separate but related ways. First, she needed more money for her fund, money she could use to invest in startups. That's the pitch she was making to Ninian. But the second problem was more urgent. She was very close to not being able to make payroll. There's something I heard more than once while I was reporting this story. Arlen rolls deep. And she did travel with an entourage. One flight she and I took from LA to San Francisco, Arlen's staff videographer, Diane, sat behind us. At the airport, Chacho, Arlen's apprentice, was there to meet us at the gate with a Diet Coke and unsalted almonds for Arlen. In October, there were seven full and part-time employees on the backstage staff. That's more than you find working on funds 10 times Arlen's size. Even Ninian, the investor we'd met at the St. Regis, had asked about this, how Arlen was able to pay for all those salaries. All six full-time employees worked remotely, but once a month, the company would fly them out to Los Angeles for a team meeting. For the end of the year, Arlen had planned something special, a team retreat at an Airbnb in San Diego with a sunset cruise. This was going to be expensive. You were thinking about, like, how am I going to pay for the big yeah, staff the, retreat next week, you know? Or, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, we paid for it. I always figure it out. How'd we're, you figure it out? Um, I stole some of my GP, which covers, which I've been doing for two years. GP. GP stands for General Partner, which is Arlen's title at Backstage. But in this context, it's shorthand for GP Carry. That is money that Arlen would get if Backstage Capital's investments pay off. Um, I've been diluting my equity in the fund piece by piece as needed while we have these small funds. She was selling off chunks of her own future. We talked to a lot of VCs in reporting this, and selling Carry is pretty unusual. It's something most VCs would do only as a last resort, because carry is the most valuable thing you own as a venture capitalist. It's the thing that can make you rich. Arlen could conceivably buy her carry back, but this whole scenario struck me as a little like what Sheena had said about title loans and check cashing, this system of bad deals that people get forced into when they have no other choice. That's what selling carry was for Arlen. Every time that happens, it's a little painful. So... So my, when I sell that, my hope is always, at the time, it'll c- carry me the next couple, two or three months. And then, hopefully by then, I have something to catch me. There's some sort of revenue that's coming in or some sort of fund that we've raised or something has come through. But nothing had. A few days later, on her way to the staff retreat, she sent me an audio diary. It's uh, November 29th, and I am at an Amtrak station in Burbank. She had been counting on selling more GP Carry, but the deal had fallen through. So this morning, I woke up to some news that some capital that was the B plan is actually not coming through. And that is a clear and present danger for us. I just have a few days to figure this out. That evening, I wrote Arlen back. The situation didn't sound good, and I was thankful she was being so honest about it, so I told her that. 
But it also made me wonder what she was doing about all of this, whether the financial crunch was making her rethink some of her expensive traveling or the fancy hotels she sometimes stayed in. So I asked her, using a word I would very much come to regret, whether she intended to make lifestyle changes as a result. She emailed me back. She was not happy. You mentioned my lifestyle a lot, she wrote, and I don't think you see what you're implying by doing so. The issue is, this feels like it's coming from your personal opinion and not from an unbiased opinion. Arlen often bristled at my characterizations of her. She was sensitive to how her story was told, especially when I, a white reporter, was the one doing the telling. And I didn't blame her for that. But at the same time, I was telling her story, and the way she spent her money were part of that story. So we set up a call. So what it feels like since we started is that you somehow have a, like a little bit of a this thing where I shouldn't be doing something. Like I shouldn't be at the St. Regis or I shouldn't be getting into this certain car. And so when you ask me about do you, does not having money mean that you'll change your lifestyle? My lifestyle three years ago was sleeping on the, fo- on the ground. I'm, I'm doing everything that I had to do to build a venture fund from the, from the ether. To me, it's a little concerning because if, if you're framing the entire story and other people don't understand that, and the first thing they hear is like, I, I drove up to the St. Regis where Arlen has a palatial suite. You know, it's like, well, no, um, that's not the full picture. Of course, the hotel room wasn't really the point. By far, the most expensive thing Arlen had done was hire staff, way more staff than she could arguably afford. It's my life. It's my decision as the founder of Backstage Capital. It's my decision to go in this direction. I think about it with great weight on my shoulders. And this is the decision I've made, is to go in this direction. Why does Backstage Capital have such a big staff compared to other VC firms? We're comparing apples to oranges. We are not like other funds. We have a much larger portfolio in a very short amount of time. I didn't start backstage just to uh, and, and set that number of 100 companies by 2020 just to look cool or to sound crazy. I started it so that we would be a very effective and uh, high-touch firm. High touch meant Backstage would have a big enough staff to work closely with all of its portfolio companies, like it did with Sheena and Capway. Arlen believed Backstage was going to be big. So why not make it big now? But don't you worry that if you run through the money too quickly, you'll limit what you're able to do? Mm -hmm, Not really. I know that anything in the middle really just wouldn't, it would just be so boring. And it's also, where does that get you? You're saying if I kind of back things up, It gives me more runway, but runway to where? Is that a destination that I really want (laughs) to go to? Like runway to what? To being mediocre? Ugh. Arlen knew that from the outside, this might look a little like Wiley Coyote running off of the cliff without looking down. But she knew what was below that cliff. She had lived with uncertainty her entire life. It doesn't scare me like I see a lot of, it scares a lot of people in the Silicon Valley. It was was never a given that we were going to have money three months from now when I was a kid. Like that was just, that was rich people on TV or rich people at my school. Like you're rich because you know where you're going to live in three months. 
I know the opposite. Okay, I don't know where the money's coming from now, but I know that I survived last year. I'll probably survive this year. I know what that feels like. Arlen had a team now, and they depended on her. This strategy could cost them their jobs. The people she hired were young, diverse. Many had found her on Twitter, drawn to her ambition, the scope of what she wanted to do. But her tendency to keep building backstage, even when this was unsustainable, was putting the firm and herself in financial peril. She would need to find some kind of creative solution, fast. Coming up next time on Startup, Arlen goes to Texas in pursuit of a potentially transformative business deal. I haven't really let it hit me yet because I'm just preparing for it and it'll be big. It'll be really, really big. It'll change my life, I think, if it happens. Hey, listeners, in June, Arlen and I will be speaking together at Gimlet Fest in Brooklyn. She'll be talking about what it was like to be followed around by the startup crew for so long and what she thinks of these stories. I have no idea how this is going to go. Get your tickets at GimletFest.com. Also at GimletFest, hosts from Reply All, The Nod, Habitat, and other shows talking about what they do. Check it out, GimletFest.com. Today's episode was produced by Bruce Wallace, Simone Polanin, Luke Malone, and Angelina Mosier. Our senior producer is Lauren Silverman. Editing by Heather Rogers, Lulu Miller, Kimmy Regler, Lisa Chow, Molly Messick, and Sarah Saracen. I'm Amy Standen. Our theme song is by Mark Phillips, remixed by Bobby Lord. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. For full music credits, visit our website, gimletmedia.com startup. Peter Leonard mixed the episode. Special thanks to Yulili Onavakpuri at Kapoor Capital and Renata George at Zenman Venture Fund. Find out more about the show at gimletmedia.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Startup. Thanks. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you.